WBEZ is supported by Chicago Humanities, presenting live events with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, comedian Reggie Watts and filmmaker Miranda July, and artists Hebrew Brantley and Amanda Williams in conversation, plus MSNBC chief correspondent Ali Velshi on small yet powerful acts of courage throughout history. Tickets for these events and more conversations on arts, culture, and current affairs at chicagohumanities.org. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Chicago's school system is one of the largest public school systems in the nation, and it's the second biggest employer in the city. Now it's in the hands of John Ann Shee. He's not a native Chicagoan, but he's leaning on his background as an immigrant to support his progressive education ideas. John Ann is the district's first Asian-American leader, and at 33, is its youngest since 1995. Now we recently sat down with him to learn more about those many firsts. So a lot of firsts that I just sure, mentioned there. Sure. I mean, when you hear them listed out like that, the youngest, first Asian American, mm-hmm. I mean, what's your reaction? Um, I'm just tremendously proud, right? I'm proud to be in this role to represent and to bring folks with me to the table. Um, I'm really proud to be the first educator um, to have known what it's like to think about student outcomes and student success every day, right? To think about what goes into a healthy school environment and... You know, I'm I'm also tremendously proud to be one of the first immigrants in this seat. Um, to know that, you know, Chicago being so diverse that, um, that folks know that someone who has that experience is at the table, representing them and also their their needs as well. Yeah, obviously, I mean, those identities are important, right? But I, I feel like they also don't tell the full picture of who sure. you are. So, how would you describe yourself to our listeners? Sure. You know, I'm someone, I'm an immigrant who's fallen deeply in love in Chicago, right? I grew up in China, spent a minute in Toronto and grew up uh, in my childhood in Boston. Mm-hmm. But as someone, as maybe folks who have traveled and moved around know or who are, who are immigrants, when you get to choose a place, it really is something special. And, you know, I've just fallen deeply in love with the city and, you know, everything that I do is really to try to pay it back. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you talk about the, the moving around that you've done, uh, spending time in Toronto, growing up in suburban Boston. You told one of our colleagues at the Sun-Times that your education would have been radically different depending on where you ultimately ended up. Mm-hmm. Expand on that a little bit. Yeah, I think about I think in that I, I talk about the different versions of me that exist. Right. And because I was adopted, my privilege, my education privilege, which is something that I felt was most tangible, dramatically changed, right? Went to a neighbor, went from being homeschooled in China to, you know, being um, in a strong public school system where I got to learn English, where I was given all the different enrichment opportunities to succeed, right? Where I was even set up to go to college, right? I think about, you know, one of these summers, one of the summers growing up in high school, I I did an like a academic program mm-hmm. right at um, another school, 
And I ran to someone named Bobby, and we became friends. And then later on, I learned Bobby was undocumented. And I and you know he was much smarter than me. He was a philosopher, right? And at that point, I had just gotten my uh, green card, and so I became just became a permanent resident. I thought about, man, what is the difference between me and him? Is this thing called status that really changed your outcome, right? And so I think about that a lot. I think about those juxtapositions about what is the difference between me and someone. Um, someone like Bobby and me, between someone who's successful and someone who's maybe hard on their times. Mm. You're 33. As mm-hmm. I mentioned, you are the youngest board president that's been appointed to this position. You've also said that you don't mind being called naive. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? I think it's important to be hopeful, right? It's important, um, and I think folks think sometimes that's naive, right? I don't think it's naive to think about what does the world need? What does Chicago need? And then demand that and move us all towards that. I think some folks are stuck seeing the boundaries that we have drawn for ourselves. Um, and think anything outside of that is, is not possible. And I, I just reject that. I believe that it is possible for every family in here in Chicago to succeed, to get what they need, um, because that's what they deserve. Um, I think, some folks lack the imagination that's required, mm-hmm. and we need to really be serious about calling that in, that we don't need to live in this reality, right? Because I think what's considered unrealistic or radical is simply the norm for people with privilege. Your immigrant experience is so much of of what makes you mm-hmm. who we're seeing today. Um, you mentioned you know, getting your green card eventually, but you were undocumented until you were mm-hmm. about 17 years mm-hmm. old. And you've talked about, as a child, being scared mm-hmm. and, and trying to keep your status private mm-hmm. and just staying in the shadows. Mm-hmm. So what would John Ann say to that kid now? Oh, man, I felt like I had a lot of those conversations when I was at Solorio. I was a, a faculty advisor for the Dream Team, which is our undocumented uh, students and allies club. We met every Friday at 7 a.m. We met in my classroom. And, you know, I was inspired by... Uh, educators like Rigo Padilla, um, who led that club, and the students who were my age, right, at that time, who were able to call out what they, that they deserve to exist, that being undocumented, unafraid, and apologetic, that they should have the same rights, right, access to education as everyone else. And, you know, in those spaces, I really felt like they were communicating to my younger self, mm-hmm. and it was healing, right? That was the, you know, it's it's weird to kind of be at 8 a.m. and the clock strikes and you have to start your first period class and you're super emotional. But um, in those moments, that I think those students were speaking to my past self that, you know, that you didn't need to be. You, you deserved it, right? You deserve as a human being the right to an education, the right to stay where you feel, um, where you feel like your community is. A lot of the challenges that uh, CPS confronts, uh, they're tied up in systemic issues like mm-hmm. racism and poverty. Uh, some students show up to school. They don't have stable housing. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have a stable home to return to, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I know as a mom filling out some of those forms at the sure. beginning of the school year, it, it disheartens me to see, like, you know, different boxes to be mm-hmm. checked. You know, like, do you need shelter? Do you mm-hmm. need this? And thankfully, I'm able to check off, you know, for my kids that they have a home. But it does make me think, wow, there are people who need to check the other boxes. Um, and I know that you actually took an interest in housing and homelessness mm-hmm. back in college. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about that and how you're thinking about those issues today. 
I think that shifted completely my direction, right? Um, I think I would be a doctor by now if I didn't do that fellowship, right? I I was a pre-med major. Uh, pre, I was doing pre-med, doing a, a thesis on in neuroscience, and then I spent a year at this place called Bridge Over Troubled Waters, which was for young folks who were experiencing homelessness or at risk. Um, and so I worked in the med van, but then I worked in the transition home, the GED center, the drop-in center. And, you know, and then I took an independent study that really gave me the language to understand systemic oppression and institutional racism and how it's, how complex, um, systems of homelessness are. Mm-hmm. That it's not, that gave me the language to dispel the, the false, the false, um, the lies about that folks are just lazy or whatever, right? And so that really informed, right, um, my, my purpose, mm-hmm. right? It helped me, like, dis, help me kind of understand the cognitive dissonance we all feel when we see someone who's unhoused, right? That, you know, we believe all humans get this, but why are they in this position? And I find that in my position now, that's my responsibility to look at policies together. Because none of our, you know, I think when we look in silos and we operate in silos, we don't solve any of the world's greatest problems. I think when we collaborate, when we think dynamically, um, it is a responsibility. Well, you're right. We have thousands of families, CPS families, who are unhoused, doubled up, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and for our students to succeed, which really means for our neighborhoods and communi- communities to succeed, we have to take that seriously. We have to be advocates, right, um, yeah. to bring those families home. And add to that, many of these children, uh, they're learning English for the first mm-hmm. time, right, that are, that are joining CPS sure. right now. Uh, how does your own experience impact your approach in supporting them? Sure. I, I mean... I think it's an it's super important, and you know I've I admire Mayor Johnson's dedication to hold that we are a sanctuary city, that everyone that a city like ours can hold and provide for all. And in Chicago Public Schools, we are working and continue to work on how do we improve services to students beyond you know when they get here, whether again whether they came here on a bus yesterday or their families um, built Chicago, right? Whether it's railroads, they all deserve. The access to high quality education. And what does that mean for some? For some, it means a bilingual aid, right? For some, it means other wraparound inter- interventionists, right? We need to meet the students where they're at um, and provide them what they need because they're Chicagoans now. So you mentioned you worked for Solario Academy High School in Gage Park. That was mm-hmm. for about three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, you worked in some Massachusetts high schools. Mm-hmm. Is there a moment that you can think of during your time teaching that you think changed the way that you think about education? Sure. I think coming to Chicago and understanding the how policy and politics work together to improve or change the system really mm-hmm. shifted me, right? I think when I came to Chicago, I learned a lot about the immigrant justice movement, and that kind of shifted how I looked at power, and I became an organizer, and that's what really allowed me and dared me to think that we can build systems that serve everyone. You were organizing full-time in 2019 with the mm-hmm. parent advocacy group Raise Your Hand Illinois. Why'd you make that switch? Um, you know, I wanted, again, to... I, I felt every day when I was working as an educator, I deeply loved what I did. So Laura is an amazing um, place to work. And... But I felt pulled away to kind of engage all across the city. And I wanted to spend more of my time um, advocating and helping transform the city. And for me, for someone who's fallen in love with the city so much, what what was more meaningful than 
loving its families. And that's at the heart of what I did at Raise Your Hand was mm. we organized families to create neighborhoods, to create schools, and create a school district um, that better served its students. Uh, you got into organizing at a time, I, I remember this very clearly, 2017, mm-hmm. when uh, when travelers were detained mm-hmm. at O'Hare. This was when uh, former President Trump had mm-hmm. the executive order uh, banning immigrants from you know a number of Muslim-majority mm-hmm. nations. That sparked your interest to really... Yeah, I think 2016, 2017 yeah. really activated a lot of Chicagoans, a lot of folks across the country. A lot of right? people across the country. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And, and for me... That specific moment was, you know, I had heard about it. Didn't I was not connected to a group. I just went to O'Hare, right? And I felt that was what was right. And I went alone and I got more involved. And all of a sudden I was on the front line and there were, you know, the lawyers were there asking me to, you know, give my information if I was going to take an arrest. And it it really struck me because like at the moment I met a mention of Bobby, my friend, um, and the, the three realities of me, whether it was in Boston, China, or Toronto, like, what's the difference between me and another green card person, right? And so a person holding a green card, because I was applying to be a citizen at the time. Mm-hmm. And if, if anyone who knows that process, it's basically a 20-page document. Like, have you done this? Are you doing this? You know, all of those things. And one of them has was, have, have you ever been arrested before, right? And, you know, for me, it really helped juxtapose to me, like, there's no, there's no difference. I did not deserve this more than the person that was being detained right there. And it is our right that... Again, none of it really reminded me that none of us are free until all of us are free. You used to be someone who would uh, actually show up and uh, you know, make public comments sure. at school board meetings. So what's it like now? You're on the other side of the mic. Mm, I understand. It helps me. I think it gives me perspective on how um, difficult and challenging a family's journey is in Chicago, can be in Chicago public schools. It gives me empathy to understand, like, Often it's not the first stop that they're at the Board of Ed, right? They've tried other things. And it's important that we listen and we acknowledge. There's some things that are out of our control, of course, but the things that are that we need to resolve, right? And so when folks email me, when folks uh, reach out to the board, we do make sure someone is in touch. And that's important that they feel heard. And it's important that as someone for the past decade that's been on the outside, that we move urgently um, to, again, transform this district that focuses on our students with special needs, that focuses on neighborhood schools, that focuses on bringing more resources and revenue to our district. Mm-hmm. So you've been at this uh, this new role since July. Mm-hmm. What would you say are some of the highlights so far? Sure. It's been 71 days. <laughs> <laughs> Who's counting? Oh, I count. I count. <laughs> um, I count because we're in such a unique opportunity in time, right? The reason why I said yes is we have, I have a, this role has a historic responsibility um, to trans that an opportunity to transform this district, and I, I take that so super seriously. So I want to make sure that I each day counts, right? Because I have only until January fifteenth, twenty twenty five, and again, I want to make sure every day we're working towards a district that listens to families. We're working towards a district that provides services. Um, you know, one of the things I'm proud of is we stood up a special education advisory committee, right? That's um, that is tasked with many things, but Overall, transforming uh, Chicago's uh, CPS's relationship with our families, with um, students with disabilities. So we're in the, we've had four um, meetings so far around the next ODLSS, which is our 
office of students with special needs, mm-hmm. um, looking for their chief, right? So including folks in. And again, our goal is to acknowledge um, and to listen to families and help them drive. Um, again, our special ed committee is uh, consists of most majority parents, teachers, um, non-teaching staff, principals. And so the goal is to mirror where we want to go. And that's something I'm proud of. So a little over 15 months left in mm-hmm. your term. I mean, so looking ahead, what would you say are the immediate priorities then? Sure. In addition to, you know, transforming special education, you know, I think there needs to be a real focus on our neighborhood schools, right? I think often we use the language of choice when we want to provide real choices and really, really want to make sure we invest in our neighborhoods. And that's just super important to me is, you know, often we're, we live in a society that views corporations as humans. So what if we viewed neighborhoods and communities the same way, that we don't discard them, right, so that we invest? Because what happens when we take away a school in a neighborhood? What does that say to that neighborhood, right? And I think we have Chicago Public Schools has a responsibility to invest in its neighborhood schools, continue investing in its neighborhood schools, and grow back Chicago. We'll leave it there. That was John Ann Shee, who's the president of Chicago's Board of Education. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great to meet you. That episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Max Lubers. It was edited by Linnea Dominic and Meha Ahmed. Stay up to date on the big moves happening in City Hall at WBEZ.org. Get the news, politics, and culture happening in Chicago by subscribing to our podcast. That's all for today. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We will chat again tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.